Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you would get your Bibles open up to the Gospel according to Matthew chapter 13. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 13. This is a parable that probably most of you, if not all of you, will find familiar. It's a parable that uh, <clears throat> it's a parable can be looked at from a lot of different uh, directions. I should say there's a lot of things to glean from this particular uh, passage of Scripture. Jesus starts off here by actually going into a parable, and he says one of the things in this passage of Scripture, probably one of the most potentially confusing things that we hear Jesus say out of the entire Scripture. And we'll get to it in a little bit. We'll stop and take a little bit of a focus or a little bit of a look on that. The important, this message, the importance of God's Word. The importance of God's Word. Now, we, we all know that, I mean, it was, it was, and let me back up. I am a Generation Xer. So I was the first generation that actually saw the digital phones, the first flip phones, the first bag phones, the first cellular devices. We didn't have all of the information at our fingertips. We didn't have Google. We didn't have DuckDuckGo. We didn't have the resources to actually look up any information that you wanted to online. Now, society, how much access to information do they have? It's really unlimited. But what's the trouble with unlimited information? Makes it much harder to find the truth in the middle of all of that information. And this information affects us in life as much as it may metaphorically affect us electronically, it affects us in life. In other words, we, we begin to fall in ruts where we start doing things because it's what we've always done. And, and I mean, this translates in any context. Well, why do you go to church? Because I always go to church. Why do you go to church there? Because we've always gone to church there. Why do you go to that Sunday school class? Just what I've always done. Why do you sit in that pew? That's what I've always done. And then after a few years, what does it become? That becomes the model for church. Right? But is that the model for church? No, it misses. Way misses. Because I'll tell you something. Anybody walks in and says, church is about the music. Are they right? No, we may express ourselves through that music, but it is not the music. What about the church? building how many churches have ever split over the color of a carpet it's ridiculous our ability to zone in on absolute truth not only focus on it but stand on it as if when you fall off or if you fall off you will absolutely drown and you know what I mean I mean there's everybody has stood on the little inflatable things for fun and laughed while everybody else was watching you try to stand up on this thing in the water but if I said I guarantee you if you fall off of this raft you're going to drown 
would how long would you uh, how willing would you be to stand on the raft god's word not applied creates desert scenarios for people what i mean by desert scenarios i mean it causes people to run dry it causes people to not have the impact that they can have that jesus intended for them to have they can't have that impact or that effect because the word of god something happened well the question is what happened Jesus in this parable gives us more information about specifically what happens. And then I basically have two questions for you in this message. Hopefully I'll remember two questions and we'll get them to the end. <laughs> Read with me the gospel according to Matthew chapter 13, start with verse 1. On that day, Jesus went out of the house My eyes, I'm going blind. It's just, I'm, I'm gonna, here you go, I'm gonna have to do this. I always worry about somebody going, here, preaching out of the Bible. But I am preaching out of the Bible. It's actually the New American Standard if anybody would like to check it. For some reason, it's easier to me see on this. Last week I made it and I thought I might make it again this week, but it didn't happen. That day, Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea. And large crowds gathered to him, so he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up because they, did not, they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen... When the sun had risen, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. And others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, the phrase that I want you to pick up out of this entire message is, He who has ears, let him hear. Now, do you think Jesus assumed he, he said this stuff do you think that he just assumed that everybody was not listening to him, so this was his way of drawing their fading attention back? Or do you think that's him saying, I'm letting you in on something that is key and absolute truth. Listen to it. Is that one it? Yeah, that one's it. And anytime he says it, that's exactly what he means. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I have something to say. You will do well to listen to me. Look at the response. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Jesus answered them. You ready for the confusing part I promised you a while ago? To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Now he's going he's gonna to explain this a little bit further, but let me see how well I can lay this out for you. 
Jesus is basically saying, when you read that passage of scripture, that he prevents some people from being able to understand it. But that makes no sense, right? Why would he do such a thing? There's an interesting Greek word study that I'll take anybody through who would like to. And it actually shows that the intention of the words used in those verses was not for Jesus to be critical of the individuals, but was because he wanted when Jesus was rejected, if Jesus was rejected, he wanted them to reject what they knew was real. Because if an individual didn't know who Jesus was, it was best for him to catch bits and pieces rather than somebody run up to him and go, hey, this guy's the Messiah, the promised one that they promised thousands of years ago, the one that is going to fix everything. So he operates like this. You just pick up the, the, the bits and pieces if I speak a parable to you. But he said specifically to the, to the disciples, to you, it was granted to know the mysteries. So don't lose focus on the point of what he's saying here. To him who has, he'll be given more. The one who doesn't, even what they have will be taken away from them. If Jesus just showed up one day, consumes Mount Sinai in a firestorm, how many people believe in him? Makes an announcement, he gets the BBC, he gets all the US media, he gets media from all over the globe, says, hey, come, I got something I want to show you. He just hovers above Mount Sinai and consumes the whole thing with a firestorm. <laughs> Why doesn't he do it? I mean, it fixes everything, right? Why would people believe in him, though? because they'd be afraid of him. They'd be scared of him. Now, are they going to run away from that fear and, that, and being scared? Nope. But this provides opportunity for those who are going to trust in Christ to trust in Christ, while the ones who are refusing to do so are really just assuming the role and the responsibility that they accepted in rejecting him. So the question is, and we can run in circles around this, was Jesus withholding parables to prevent people from knowing, or was he speaking in parables because he knew that some would not? He knew they wouldn't going to give it the time of day. So what happens if I guilt somebody into becoming a Christian? Are they saved? They ain't saved. I'm not allowed to guilt people into becoming Christians. That's, that's the Holy Spirit's work. That's God. God draws people. In. All we're supposed to do is lift Christ. Lift Christ, and he will draw men into himself. Could you imagine going through life just simply because of the fact that it has become habitual to reject God to go through life by the skin of our teeth just seems happy to get by 
And please don't misunderstand me. You do not work for your salvation. But you do work for theirs. Do you get me? They don't work for their salvation either. We do. Somebody worked for your salvation, and somebody worked for their salvation, and that goes all the way back to the one who ultimately started this whole thing, Jesus Christ. Do you really want what is given to you to, that has been given to you to be taken away? Because here's what it is. God exposes us to truth, life hits us, truth is applicable, we go crazy, and then God goes, what in the world? What did James say about a double-minded man? Don't expect that he'll receive anything from God. And what is a double-minded man? It's someone who's listening to Jesus, but they don't hear him. Or you can flip it. They hear him. They just ain't listening. The book of Revelation. Blessed are those who read. Blessed are those who see. Blessed are those who do. Not those who learn and, and retain it. Not those who roll through life like they're a spiritual boulder until the first thing comes along and they actually bust into a big mound of pea gravel. Why do we even pretend? We all know how mushy we are. We're human beings. We're mushy. I'm six and a half foot tall. I can stand up here and act tough all that I want to, but I want to cry four or five times a week. And if you're dealing with any of the, the, the stuff that life has to offer, you're in the same place I am. If the word of God can be pushed away from us by anything, it stops us dead in its tracks. You notice there was only one scenario that he talked about. Let's read a little bit further. Look at verse, starting with verse 12. Whoever has to him, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because while seeing they do not see, and while hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. In their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears, they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. To me, this is huge, and it's a, it's a very straightforward. Jesus says, I speak to them in parables because if, if I don't speak to them in parables, they're going to come crawling back to me out of their guilt. Not out of dedication because I'm laying my life down for them. Not out of dedication because I'm fulfilling promises that brings blessings that nobody else can fulfill.
Yeah, but what's in it for me? Verse 18, here then the people of the sower, the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what he has sown in his heart. This is the one whom seed was sown beside the road. Now, seed sowed behind the roads, talking about the soil is compacted, nothing can penetrate it. You sling seed on the side of the road, the seed stays on the top of the ground. Guess who's coming to eat it? The birds coming to eat it. Known a few of those. The one whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when afflicted or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This is the one that the rocky soil that the seed will sprout quickly, but it has no depth. It has nothing to hold it to the ground. If he has no firm, firm root in himself, but it is only temporary. How many of you guys have strong days? I have those days where I can swing through hell on a rotten rope and spit in the face of the devil. Amen? But how many of you have those days that you just feel like it wouldn't take much more than a straw to break that camel's back? And these are the roller coasters we live on. But is only temporary? Did you notice that he said has, has no firm root in himself? Did it say, yet he has no firm root in Christ? Did it say that? says no it says he has no firm root in himself but is only temporary in other words no firm root means that you get to blow around based on every emotional experience you have no root means that you may stay in the same general vicinity but you're going to be all over the map emotionally is only temporary the second that affliction or persecution arises what does a grass with no root What's, a, what's persecution? How much does it take? Does it take a 240-pound man dragging his foot one time to kick that dirt right out of, the, right out of the ground? Or is it like those cotton-picking trees that like to grow on the end of the house that you can cut 15 times a year, and by December, they're 20 feet tall again? Won't die! He immediately falls away because there is no root or depth in what it is that he's believing and what he's seeing and what he's hearing. That root is what holds us. And as a church, to be very honest with you, you take a whole bunch. How many of you guys are familiar with the willow tree stories? The willow trees, they're fairly weak in their, rooting, in their root systems. If they catch a really heavy gust of wind, they'll pull the whole root wad out of the ground because it has no depth to it. So you know what? Over the years, you know what these trees have, have done? And they do it naturally, almost like God created them to do that. They intertwine their roots. So if you walk up to this grove of like five or six willow trees, if you could see what was underneath the ground, it's not five or six individual root wads. 
It is one gigantic root wad where every one of those trees intertwine with each other over the years. There is no storm on the planet knocking them trees down. Because they reinforce one another. When our roots are set, we become much harder to move. We become much harder to convince. We become much harder to trick. We become much harder to knock off of cloud, knock us off of the cloud nine that Jesus Christ has put us on. Verse 22, the one on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. This is the man who hears the word. The worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. The seed among the thorns. There's another parable Jesus told us about. The parable of the wheat and the tares. Right? Why do we not pull out the tares? Yeah, if you pull out the tear, if you if you pull out the tear, you're going to pull the wheat too, at least some of it. So you got to let the two of them develop side by side, right? Now, when you separate these two things out, when you separate the the wheat from the weed, is there a whole lot of difference looking between the two? They look kind of familiar. They look similar to each other. You know what I'm talking about, right? Those things that almost look like cattail heads. They grow about this tall in the wheat fields, and they got that thing on the top of them looks like a caterpillar. It, it, at, at the right stage, it looks like a wheat plant. It's not. It's a tear. It's a weed. If if a whole bunch of these weeds sprout up around us and steal the nutrients from us, boy, can I preach a whole other sermon on that? Who's stealing your nutrients? Because we cannot survive as an individual who's going to be a Christian if we're individuals who cannot recognize that there are very real dangers and things in this world that are competing for your allegiance. It's competing for our allegiance. It's not a small deal. Don't think that you ever do anything for Christ and that it's a small deal. God's word will not return void. We can speak his word, preach his word, live his word, express his word. It will not go without its effect, its intended effect. Because we are not the ones empowered to save people. The word of God, Jesus Christ, is. He is the one. So it steals the nutrient. And it chokes it. Greed. It's another thing he mentioned in there. Chokes it. I'm going to grant you, I'm going to draw this line very close, but I'm going to say it because Jesus told me to. You may have to work on Sunday because your company requires it. And I know people who do the right thing. Company requires you to work on Sunday. They'll go to church as much as they can. Other opportunities. Some people even will go to another church to help assist that situation. But if we're individuals who... work because we want the money instead of go to church if it's your company making you do it that's one thing it's another thing entirely for a person to say i'm going to choose to put my job first that's across the line but and the reason for that is regardless of the reason 
You cannot unplug yourself from church without a negative effect. You can't. People become unfruitful when they get focused on greed because they're looking at what's best for them and not what's best for everybody else. And that, my friend, is contrary, completely contrary to what Christianity is as a whole. My God tells me to think a little less of myself and a little more of everyone else. It says to treat everyone else better than I treat myself. There's no biblical purpose behind us as individuals being so selfish as to say, hey, <laughs> I'll tell you some lessons. I had one guy one day, and, I'm, and I don't say these things myself on purpose. Uh, I mean, these are individuals who actually have these experiences. And, and it's almost funny because... They talk about all these things that in their minds that they can justify. In other words, I made a donation to the church for this, so I took that out of my tithe, and I put my tithe in, and, and under conviction, and again, I'm not someone who criticizes anybody. Do what the Lord tells you to. I mean, if he did, he can absolutely tell you to do whatever he wants you to. But this person admitted that I, I, I just didn't want to do it. And later, the guy comes back to me and he goes, you know what? The key wasn't that I didn't want to do it. The key was God gave me the resources to do it, and that should have been what made my choice. And I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? He said, God took three times the amount that, that I would have given the church. And I'm like, what do you mean by that? He said, well, as soon as I did that, my air conditioner went out, my, my air handler went out, I had uh, uh, the meter on the side of my house, fried a whole bunch of my electronics in my house. It's going, a coincidence? I'm not getting involved with that. If a person walks out of a situation like that and says, boy, the Lord got me, I'm just going to say amen and keep walking. Because the important thing is not whether I think God got them or not. The important thing is if the Lord is speaking to someone and the Lord says, yeah, you just made a mistake and I'm going to apply your reason to your situation from my side. And then it dawns on them that their motivations weren't there. That they weren't driven to do the right thing for the right reason. That it wasn't just a matter of morality and law. It goes deeper than that. Jesus said, they say that if you sleep with another man's wife, that you're an adulterer. But I say that if you look up on, a, if you look up on another woman with lust in your eyes, you have committed adultery in your heart. Knowing Jesus does not make things easier. It does, it's not, hey, here's grace, guys. Go run free. That's not what it's about. And people are like, man, you got to listen to the Ten Commandments. Ten? Why do you only get to listen to ten? Do you know how many there are? There's more than ten. I mean, you get ten out of the Levitical law. How much did Jesus expand the compassion that we're supposed to have for people. How much did he say? I mean, before he said so, murder was murder, amen? You take somebody's life without cause, that's murder. Amen? But Jesus said hating them, hating them is too. See how that worked? 
we just went from a situation that says, you know what, I can almost guarantee that there is not a possible situation where I'm going to just murder somebody for no reason. I think there's very slim chances of that happening, okay? But now if you're telling me that I've committed murder when I hate a brother, how much more possible is it for me to become a hater now? A murderer. And it's not about the pressure, folks. It's about what he's trying to accomplish. He wants people that's looking at him, not just benefiting from him. He wants people who are going to listen to him, not just hear him. To be honest with you, if you're lukewarm, if you have any other reason besides Jesus for being here and doing what you're doing, do yourself a favor. Be you. Just don't be it here. Because the truth is, what did Jesus say? I would that you are hot or cold. Do you get what he's saying? I would rather you be on fire for me or lost as a goose in a snowstorm. That's what I'd rather you be, one or the other. Not a fence walker. Not someone who's lukewarm. But because you're lukewarm, I spew you out of my mouth. I love the English the, the Greek translation of that. I would that you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, you make me want to puke. That's what he's saying. So the questions. Do you hear him? And just how much are we listening? In other words, when the word of God is sprinkled on you this morning, what's going to happen to it? You going to let it set on the roadside where the devil can come along and snatch it? Maybe let it settle where it looks good, but it only gets a little root? Where are you slinging your seed? Where are you slinging it? Are you slinging it at all? Because again, what's the, what's the seed? The word of God. Are Christians supposed to be seed slingers? Where are we slinging our seed? And we know this is true because Jesus said, don't throw your pearls before swine, Right? He's saying, don't throw the seeds on the side of the stinking road. That's what he's saying. Don't throw it in a place where you know it's going to have shallow depth. If we are that intentional, we ought to know. If I want something to grow, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to turn the soil up. Put a little fertilizer in it. Take all the rocks out. Cut away all of the roots that might try to drain its nutrients. And I'm going to give it everything that it needs to be able to grow into a happy, healthy plant. Where are we slinging our seed? Because the truth is, if you're sitting here today 
There is better than a 99% chance that you are one of those individuals that, that, that he was talking about when he said to him who has been given will be given more. But if you're also someone sitting here today who just refuses to listen, you hear him. He's talking to you. You just refuse to listen. Then who are we? We're ineffective. We're of no purpose. We can carry the name church on the building, but we probably ought to also paint Ichabod over the door. The Spirit of the Lord has left this place. Because I'm telling you this, folks, and I feel like I'm screaming it. Almost every week it comes up. I feel like I'm screaming it. Big stuff's coming. It's coming. If it happens in five months, are you ready? If it happens in six months, will you be ready? If it happens next week, you ready? And the truth is, for most people on this planet who are believers in Jesus, the answer to that question is no, because I've been chasing my tail for way too long. When all of the eyes are being pulled away by all of the distractions, where should the eyes of the believer be? Right squarely on Jesus. Did your parents ever teach you anything when you were younger that you wish you'd listen to? How much more does it mean that the one who is now trying to teach you is the writer of the blueprints of all things in existence? Pretty sure he has a better chance of being right than our parents did. You want to live the life? You got to believe what he says. You got to hear it. And you got to listen to it. And you ain't always going to like it. Matter of fact, I'd say many times you're not going to like it. But if we always remember why he did what he did and why he called us to do what we do, it's a pretty simple thing to figure out. And how selfish would I be if I was a person who fully received the gospel and then concealed it from everybody else that came across my life? The truth's the truth. All you got to do is let it in. Once the truth gets in, Jesus will take the wheel. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior. I'm going to invite you to come up here and talk to me. And I'm going to be very clear to you. I can't save you. The walk won't save you. you The prayer you pray, it won't save you. But you trusting in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior will. And the Bible is clear that this is something that we as individuals, when we trust in Jesus, we are willing to publicly confess. We're not ashamed of it. Confession profession those things are huge baptisms worked into that that's a big part of it that's the profession that's the association of us with christ 
If the Holy Spirit moves you, and you say, oh, preacher, I don't know what you mean by that. You will. You will. You'll start feeling a pull and the temptation to grab the back of that pew and leave your fingerprints in it. But it doesn't always mean that he wants you to come up here either. You could be a believer in Jesus Christ. You've already trusted him, but you know that there are things in your life that are off. You know that there are things that are amiss. Same thing. You've heard him. Have you listened to him? Because it will change the way that it affects you. It will change the way that it ultimately shapes you. I don't want you to do anything that I may ask you this morning. And I'd honestly ask you no more and no less than during this invitation time. You hear the Lord speak, just be obedient to him. That's more than enough for me. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.